When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. In today's podcast, I interview medical doctor, researcher and best-selling author, Dr. Terry Walls on the program she created that's helped thousands overcome various autoimmune diseases, her personal struggles with multiple sclerosis and how she healed herself through diet, exercise and mind management, how to use ketosis and fasting strategies to boost stem cells naturally, how her protocol can help with issues like obesity, mental health problems, and neurodegenerative diseases, and more. Dr. Terry Walls is a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa, where she conducts clinical trials. She's also a patient with secondary progressive multiple sclerosis, which confined her to a tilt-recline wheelchair for four years. Dr. Walls restored her health using a diet and lifestyle program she designed specifically for her brain and now pedals her bike to work each day. She's the author of The Walls Protocol, How I Beat Progressive Multiple Sclerosis Using Paleo Principles and Functional Medicine. She conducts clinical trials that test the effect of nutrition and lifestyle interventions to treat multiple sclerosis and other progressive health problems. I want to take a few moments to thank all of you who listen and share this podcast. Your support means everything to me, and I'm so happy to hear how episodes are helping you clean up your mental mess. If you want to know how you can continue to make these podcasts possible, please subscribe and consider leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. For more tips, strategies, and resources, be sure to check out my website, drleaf.com, and follow me on social media. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And now, on to today's episode. Dr. Terry Wells, I have been looking so forward to this interview. Thank you so much for joining me today. Your work is outstanding. Your story is amazing. And it's just a privilege to be able to talk to you and interview today. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's going to be amazing. And you have so much to share that is so valuable and you have an incredible story. And those that haven't listened to your TED Talk, I recommend that they do and you get your book. I've got your book sitting right here in front of me, but your your story is unique. So before we start, even though people have heard your bio, can you just tell people a little bit about you? What's not in your bio? What motivates you? Tell us your story. Well, so the story is I'm an academic internal medicine doc. And certainly believed, you know, in the best technology, the latest drugs, and had a very skeptical approach. Somebody talked about functional medicine or integrative medicine. But, you know, God has a mysterious way of teaching us. In 2000, I started having problems with my left leg. Ultimately, was evaluated by a neurologist, had lesions in my spinal cord and one lesion in my brain. And then my neurologist said, you know, Terry, you forgot to mention that 13 years ago, 
you had a dim vision episode in your left eye. That was probably optic neuritis, and this is relapsing remitting MS. And again, you know, I'm an academic physician. I want to treat my disease very aggressively. So I uh, did some research, sought out the best MS center in the Midwest, saw the best person there, took the newest drugs, and went downhill anyway. Now, fortunately, my Cleveland Clinic uh, physicians told me about the work of Lauren Cardane. I read his books, his papers, and this was a big deal because I'd been a, veg- a low-fat vegetarian for about 20 years, mm-hmm. and I went back to eating meat. I gave up all grain, all legumes, all dairy, radical change, but I continued to decline. Then I converted to secondary progressive MS and started taking mitoxantrone, continued to decline. Then I switched to that new biologic agent, and I continued to decline. And then I've tried on a variety of other potent, uh, very potent disease-modifying drugs. At that point, you know, it's very clear that the best science, best drugs, the best people are not going to be able to stop my slide towards a progressively more severe disability, potentially intractable pain, because Mm -hmm. I also have trigeminal neuralgia which had been getting steadily more severe and more difficult to manage. And that's when I started saying like, okay, I've got to do everything that I possibly can to slow my decline because I understand that with progressive MS, there is no stopping of the disease, that your whole goal is to just slow the decline. And so I start reading the basic science. I eventually uh, start reading supplement studies because that's like something I can control. And, yeah. I, and I, I developed theories that mitochondria dysfunction is the big driver for disability for MS. And I create a supplement cocktail. That's very helpful. It helps my fatigue just a little bit. It slows the speed of my decline. I am thrilled. And then, but you know, I'm still declining. By the summer of 07, I'm so weak, I cannot sit up in a regular chair anymore. Mm -hmm. I have a zero gravity chair with my knees higher than my nose, one at work, one at home. I'm beginning to have trouble with brain fog. As I mentioned, I have trigeminal neuralgia that was certainly much more difficult to manage. And fortunately for me, that summer, I discovered the Institute for Functional Medicine. I also, so I took their course in neuroprotection. I had a longer list of supplements, which I added happily. I discovered electrostimulation of muscles and a new physical therapist I was working with. So we added that to my tiny little itsy bitsy little workout that I was still able to do. Yeah. And then, you know, I had this really wonderful aha moment. Like, what if I redesign my paleo diet based on the basic science that I was reading and the things I was taking in supplement form? So it was several more months of research, but I had this now very, very structured dietary plan. And it was stunning. You know, within three months, my fatigue is gone, my brain fog is gone, and my pain is gone. That's crazy. Wow. My pain is gone. And even better, I can sit up to the kitchen table and have supper. Wow. Sitting up at the table with my family. You know, on the fourth month, I, I'm beginning to walk around the hospital uh, with walking sticks and then without walking sticks. Mm. And about six months into this, I decided I want to ride my bike. And I haven't ridden my bike in six years. Wow. So we had this emergency family meeting with my wife and, and my kids. And, and uh, you know, do I get to ride my bike or not? Now, fortunately, my wife says, okay, and puts Zach to run along me on the left, my daughter on the right, and she'll follow up on the bike. And I do it. I'm able to bike around the block. 
Now my son is crying. My daughter's crying. My wife's crying. Gosh. Be emotional. And I'm crying. And when I talk about this, I still cry because yeah. that was such an emotional moment. Because I had accepted that, you know, when you have a progressive neurologic disorder, mm-hmm. one of the adaptations is that you will accept each day as it unfolds. Mm. And so even though I'd, I'd re- improved really quite remarkably, I was still accepting each day as it unfolded and, until I rode my bike. Gosh, it's amazing. That's when I understood like how much recovery is possible. We didn't know that the current understanding of secondary progressive MS was incomplete. Mm. And, you know, that's what it's like, unheard oh, of. It's unheard of. That. It is unheard of. It is unheard of. And so it's really quite, quite remarkable. It's, it's, it is more than remarkable and very emotional and outstanding because as you, I mean, MS, they, it's not, a, you get MS, it's kind of like a death sentence almost. I mean, that's literally you, and you described that it was a progressive, that you were doing everything that modern medicine could give you. And you are an internal med doctor. You know what you're doing. You're a research physician as well. Oh, yeah. And you were doing everything, including diet. But this radical change transformed your life in a matter of months. So you went from being literally wheelchair not being being able to ride your bike and then 18 months later you did something else which was phenomenal wasn't it (laughs) 18.5 miles uh, on my bike so that was uh, again phenomenal and so that radically changed the way i thought about disease and health it would radically change the way i interact with my patients in my primary care clinic in the traumatic brain injury clinic you know it's sort of wild Mm my university chair of medicine and watched the decline, the stunning recovery. And he called me into his office and gave me a new assignment, which the first one was get a case report written up. And I'm like, well, on myself? He goes, yeah, yeah, no, this is really important. I saluted and said, well, okay. So we got that done. Then he called me back and said, and I want you to do a safety and feasibility study because we, we need to figure out, can other people implement what you did? Yeah. It's very complicated, I know. but can they implement it? Is it safe? And if they do, what happens? Mm. What do they have any improvement? And so that was the beginning. <clears throat> a big shift in my career because you know I, I did not that the research I did was more about diagnostic error. I did not do any research in clinical trials. So my mm. chair of medicine had become the dean of medicine. And so he helped me uh, identify some research mentors to get our program up and going. I had started to go out and write the grants, get the money, but obviously I was ultimately successful and uh, launched this very exciting new direction. And you've got published trials in this book. You've got yeah. So now we're sitting at this side of the of the story, which is so hopeful for so many people that have suffered from and suffer from the trigeminal neuralgia plus the MS, because that's also a major problem that no one knows what to do with. That's an MS that there's actually hope. And use a second interview that I have done this week where I've heard a miracle, where there's a, an area of medicine that they feel that there's no hope. And and the reason I and two totally different yours MS, which has really been such an area of one of my friends' dads died from MS. So I, I have a very personal experience with that 
as well. But I interviewed a neuroscientist the other day who's actually a psychopath, but who had overcome all that with his mind. And we get told in, in medicine and research and mental health that you can't overcome if you're a psychopath. That's it. You can never overcome it. And this guy proved that you actually can with your yeah. mind. And you've shown that the hope of and, and just the determination. So that's just a little insert for my viewers and listeners that, you know, when you put your mind to something, Dr. Walls has actually put her mind to put her mind to this problem and didn't give up and just fought from one level. You know, your story, yeah. you've told it in a very short little succinct way that people need to read the book and listen to interviews and watch your TED talk because you've gone through a long process where you had to, I'm sure you had days where you were depressed and anxious and wanted to give oh, up. Yeah and how you push through. So I want to just salute you and just undergird that what the hard work that you've done. And now people can benefit from your research. So you've put this into your book, The Walls Protocol, Radical New Way to Treat All Chronic in all chronic autoimmune conditions using paleo principles. So can you talk about this book? And because people are saying, yeah, what yeah. is it? What is this miracle? What did you do? So so I I, I love that book. Yeah, it's another one of my children. So yes, I, I tell this I very get that. personal personal story of my decline, the despair, the struggle. You know, I had two very young children and I'm having to reimagine how I'm parenting, how I'm conducting life that I know my kids are going to watch and I can either model giving up in the despair that I feel. I assure you, I I certainly felt despair. Or I could model that, yes, life is not fair, but you get up and you keep doing the best that you can every day anyway, because my children, when they grow up, they're going to have difficult circumstances. And I want them to choose like, okay, life's not fair. So what? You get up and you do the best you can. So I would eventually, and that was my mantra, you know, your kids are watching. What choices do you want them to make when they face their hard times? And so that's how I got through going to work every day. That's how I got through. I'm going to keep reading. I'm going to keep looking. I'm going to keep trying because my kids need me. My, my wife needs me. The world needs you. The world needs the answer. I didn't to know this that problem. yet. <laughs> <laughs> now, eventually, I'd figure that one out, and so that kept me going. So I tell that story in a deeply personal way, uh, and then I explain the science of what I was thinking and the scientific rationale because I, I built my protocol based on basic science, based on clinical trials, and the pursuit of better functioning cells, better functioning cell membranes, calmer immune systems, less innate immune system activation, less toxin load, better hormonal balance, really thinking about Mm. cellular health. So explain all that science. And then I tell what were the clinical trials that I was doing. Now, my first book, this was what I wanted to be doing. And my uh, current book, I get to talk about the trials that I have done. And I have published. And the other thing that's so fun is the progress that we've sort of pried out on the basis of the TED Talk, the community interest, the public interest in diet, lifestyle, therapeutic interventions. So I talk about the fact that now we know a lot more about the microbiome and the epigenetics yes. and yes. the role of toxins. And yes. that now, you know, in, in 2010, when I started my trials, I was it. I was the only one doing diet and lifestyle research for MS that used wow. food. I wow. was it. Now, in 2020, I, I believe there are 16 clinical trials. Wonderful. In food. I'm involved in five of the 16. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. That is amazing. 
So very cool. So that was fun to talk about. Other thing that is, is really fun to talk about is that, you know, when my when I first talk, started talking about diet and lifestyle are key to preserving your brain, the neurology community w- were very, very resistant, probably in part because I'm not a neurologist. And so they, they didn't like that message. And they kept saying, oh, yeah. no, it's, it's all about drugs. Eat what you want. Mm-hmm. Well, now in 2020, now the science is much more clear that drugs are not enough. Because mm-hmm. if you rely just on drugs and you still smoke, you still have a terrible diet, uh, lots of sugar, no vegetables no stress reducing practice, no exercise, your brain still shrinks way too rapidly. And you're still going to have early cognitive decline. And you're still going to lose your job because of severe fatigue disability. And you will still mm-hmm. begin to have difficulty getting up off the toilet. And so now the message from the neuroscientist is, by God, you do need to address diet quality. Mm-hmm. You do have to stop smoking. You do want to have better cleaner water and cleaner air. And we want you to have organic food, if that's possible economically. And we want you to exercise. We want you to work with a physical therapist. It's like, oh my God, they finally read my book. I know how you feel when you say it like that, because for 38 years, I've been trying to get this message of mind management through. And you talk about how I work with, you talk about traumatic brain injury. One of my first areas of research was traumatic brain injury. And I went into that because I was told by my professors back in the 80s, you know what happened back in the 80s, they said your brain couldn't change. And so once you had brain damage, well, that's it. So we were trained just to teach our patients to compensate. So I challenged that narrative and started doing research. And I was told by some professors, not all, that it was a ridiculous question. I've actually done a TED talk on this as well. And I pursued the whole thing of you can, if you put your mind to something with mind management, you can change how your brain functions and therefore your life. And I showed that with subsequent research and working across in Africa, working in South Africa with poorly performing communities, people with learning disabilities, dementia, et cetera. So similar kind of different areas you're working on, but bought in diet, et cetera. But my main thing was mind management. But the point I'm making is that how people were resistant to change initially and how I remember a neurologist saying to me with one of my early traumatic brain injured patients who'd had a terrible car accident, was in a coma for eight hours, they'd written me off as a vegetable. And I remember the neurologist telling me and telling the family, there's just no hope. But that family persisted. That child literally pulled herself out of a coma and eventually ended up going back into school after being written off as a vegetable and going on to degrees. Yeah, so there's so many stories like that. And when I saw this happening, and I saw it happening with not just one community, but one type of issue, but the multiplicity of issues that I was dealing with, then I realized that, you know, the power of the mind and that's when I pursued and then neuroplasticity became accepted and, you know, cognitive. And so we progressed and here we sit in 2020 where people actually recognize the need for a holistic lifestyle. And I've just finished my 18th book and it's all about mind management and lifestyle. And so when you, that's why I love your work because I don't, obviously oh, I don't have excellent. your, I know it's so exciting because it's- Where have you me. been? <laughs> exactly. Where have we, why did we connect years ago? Oh yeah. gosh. No, so I'm so excited to you. That's why when I read your stuff and follow you on Instagram. I just thought this is someone who I have to talk to. So I'm thrilled. Oh, excellent. So, excellent. so let's start with a basic definition for my audience of an what what is an autoimmune cognition? So let's go and get even more basic. I want to talk okay. about uh, Sounds good. immune cells. Our immune cells are going around our bodies every day and our brain, by the way, and inspecting every cell to say you're working well, you're appropriate, you're healthy, good job, keep it up, or you're not working well, you're damaged, and I got to fix you up. Love it. And so the immune cells are doing a really vital job. And if they see that my cells have been damaged because of a laceration, a burn, whether it's a heat burn, cold burn, chemical burn, 
and it, that cell needs repair, the immune cell will go in and will dissolve the cell, part of it or all of it, and orchestrate the repair. And when it does that appropriately and does the repair, that's part of healing. That's part of how we age well. If the cell comes in and it identifies that that cell has been damaged because of a viral particle or because of a protein particle or a sugared side chain or a heavy metal or a lead, it'll say, you're damaged, you're not healthy, I'm going to dissolve you, eat you up. And that begins a destructive process, particularly if I can't turn off that inflammation appropriately. That disordered function is the autoimmune process. And for a long time, we didn't know what those triggers were. We just said, you know, we're we're damaging the lung, we're damaging the brain, we're damaging the joints, don't know why, we think it's healthy tissue, and so it's an autoimmune process. We're going to give you immune-suppressing drug. Now, more of the basic scientists, and I I talk about this in Mm -hmm. my book, Mm -hmm. we're figuring out why the immune cells are going in and dissolving what used to look like normal healthy tissue. It's because at a cellular level, at a molecular level, the shape of the proteins have been changed Mm. by infection, by toxin, by uh, molecular mimicry. Perhaps it looks like another microbe that, that we've been trained as foreign. So the immune cell is doing its job, but the job got complicated because we have Epstein-Barr virus, or maybe we have blood exposure, or maybe we have air pollution, or maybe we have toxin exposure, or maybe I have a food sensitivity, and so I have some cross-reactivity with those food proteins. So we're, we're beginning to tease out what the triggers are. And if we address the triggers early enough, that all that autoimmune-like activities can quiet down. And the decline of the autoimmune process stops. That's the first thing that happens. And then again, if, if you start all this early enough, not only have you, have you declined, you know, stopped the, the, the progression, the cells begin to repair. Mm-hmm. They do the, what, they, what they are programmed to do is they, they stop the damage, they're doing the repair work, and suddenly your blood pressure is better, your blood sugar is better, your mood is better, I have more joy. I discover like, you know, actually, I can walk with walking sticks again. And then I discover like, oh, I think I could bike. And in fact, I can bike. And I can swim again. And, and I can walk and take my dog for hikes again. And that's because, you know, I addressed all those factors that have been identified. Again, I talk about that in my book. The, the science, what are the triggers for that abnormal immune response. Mm, so the key thing is to, I love the way you've explained it. That's so simple and understandable and so important for people, not just autoimmune, it just sounds like such a big thing, but you've broken it down into a very basic thing that our cells are looking to see, are you doing the right thing? I love that little, just that visual image of these yeah. cells going around <laughs> checking, are you doing the right thing? No, you're not, let me dissolve you. But then sometimes it can backfire because of some reason and that's then it over, overcompensates and you have to find the triggers that are, are, that are causing the immune system to not function like it should, not do its job properly. Correct. And then Correct. find the triggers, remove the triggers, and then your autoimmune system can do what it's doing. It has the potential can do what it uh, to function correctly. Yeah. Now, obviously, the earlier we can help people identify that they have an autoimmune process, 
mm-hmm. the more complete the recovery can be. However, I, w- I need to point out to everyone is, so if we look at my personal history, in retrospect, my symptoms began during medical school with my trigeminal neurology. So that's back in 1980. In 1987, I had an episode of dim vision in my left eye. So that was about seven years later. Mm-hmm. Then 13 years later, so now 20 years into this, yeah. I have weakness in my left leg. Then in 2003, I'm so weak, I have to get my toe recline wheelchair. In 2007, I can't sit up anymore. You know, 10 minutes in a chair like this, I'd be flat out exhausted for about 36 hours. Wow. And I I was having, you know, much more severe difficulty with my face pain. So I had 27 years of relentless worsening, you know, slow in the beginning. And then, you know, by 2003, you know, really picked up steam. And so you wouldn't think I could recover. Now, I, I can't run marathons yet. But you know, I don't have pain. I don't have fatigue. I don't have brain fog. I take my dog for hikes. I can bike for hours. I swim every morning. I take saunas to 140, 160 degrees. So my heat intolerance is completely gone. I also take ice baths too, by the way. Good. Yeah. Fantastic. Saunas and ice baths. I agree with those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and if, all that. I, if I can recover that level of function with that level of disability, Wow. And, you know, everyone should have hope. I really enjoy your comment about the traumatic brain injury, because that was my area where I was at clinic at the VA for many years. And when I had my recovery, and all of my partners were sort of like how you were originally taught. Well, you got a traumatic brain injury, you can't repair, you'll get some level of recovery, but that's it. You're just lucky. That's what I was told. You're just lucky with my patients. This is not just lucky. (laughs) There's something going on here. But then, you know, I came in and said, no, 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 there's a lot we can do. Mm. We're going to address nutrition. We're going to address smoking. We're going to address exercise, stress reduction, sleep. We're going to do all this lifestyle stuff. And you know, within six months, my partners began to feel like, wow, we can tell who Terry sees because her patients are getting better. I, I heard you say that in, in one of your interviews, and I thought that was that really got my attention. Yeah, because the, the difference was there. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was huge. And the other thing that I, I had to deal with, of course, you know, because when, when I radically changed my approach and I started talking to people about diet and lifestyle and less and less about drugs, some of my physician colleagues, although they were thrilled to see me walking again, they were not thrilled with this new way of practice. Interesting. So as a couple months into this, my chief of staff called me down and said, hey, Terry, what's going on? People are really upset with you. Now, fortunately, I had been preparing for that day. So I had a stack of papers with me that I brought down and I went through with them. By the end of the meeting, he was a huge champion. And he said, but we're going to have to train you how to write your notes a little differently so that it's more clear that you are simply focusing on creating health and improving physiology and then monitoring for the side effects of over-medication if if people do recover. So I, I had to meet with the chair of the complementary alternative medicine at the University of Iowa. And I did adjust how I was communicating to families and patients so everybody was more comfortable because you do have to play nice in the sandbox, make sure that your, your <laughs> clinical stupid. colleagues are very comfortable with what you're doing. Yeah. 
because otherwise they feel very threatened. No, that I, I get that totally. You, you, if you, if you're rocking a paradigm, and that's the only way changes happen. You know, we've got changes inevitable, but it does, it does cause a little shift in people's paradigms. So, and then you've got to embrace it, which you've done. But you kind of, as you say, play nicely in the sandbox. I like that. But eventually, you you shifted people over, and you can't well, fight the evidence. I mean, the evidence is there. Scientific correct. evidence is there, and you can't fight that. The initial pushback. Uh, the other thing that was was fascinating. People said. Terry, you cannot treat every disease with the same intervention. It's, it's just unprofessional. that You should not be doing that. And my response would be like, well, I think we all have mitochondria. We all have cell membranes. Exactly. We all have neurons and synapses. And that's what I'm treating. Those are the things that I'm addressing. And then I have to monitor, of course, very closely. And I do you know, personalize my interventions for the person's individual exposures. Of course. But what I'm trying to optimize are those cellular structures. Mm, That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Creating healthy, new, sustainable habits can be challenging, especially during stressful times like the present. When life gets overwhelming, it's so easy to revert to the old habits that feel comfortable but may not be the best for us mentally or physically. If you find yourself struggling to stick to your fitness and health goals, you're not alone. I was too until I started using Noom. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things that you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Noom is not a diet. It's a healthy and easy-to-stick-to way of life. Chat with your goal specialist and Noom community to get and give help to people going through the same things. The community aspect is one of my favorite things about Noom. You don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at noomnoom.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. What do you have to lose? Visit noom.com forward slash Dr. Leaf to start your trial today. That's noom.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. The link and offer details will be in the show notes. So Terry, can you just define for people what, just give people an explanation of what MS is and maybe a couple of other, just a few couple oh, sure. of other autoimmune, and then let's start talking about how it is that you, that you treat the mitochondria. I'm so glad that you're speaking about that because it's such a, it's such a, it's such an important thing to talk about the cell yeah. membrane and the mitochondria and the synapses. We have to look at those basic levels if we're going to treat anything because we don't really know disease has got such, we're not really sure where all disease comes from anyway. So we've got to start treating those basic things, but let's start with the basic definition for people. So multiple sclerosis is a immune mediated and a neurodegenerative disorder. It's one of the most common causes of early disability and lengthiness you don't care for folks uh, here in the U.S. There's probably about a million cases in the U.S., maybe three to five million cases around the world. And as I said, we think it's a autoimmune process that appears to be attacking the brain, causing acute relapses or worsening of symptoms. If you did an MRI at that time, you'd see acute lesions that enhance with contrast in the brain and the spinal cord. Then over time, for people with relapse remitting, the symptoms decrease, that is, they remit, and the enhanced lesions uh, lose their enhancement. They're still there, but they aren't as inflamed. And this waxing and waning course goes on for many years. Within typically 10 years, the vast majority will convert to the progressive phase of the illness, secondary progressive. And for me, I 
you know, converted to that within three years of my initial diagnosis. And then in that phase, what's more apparent is this rapid brain volume loss and spinal cord loss. There's not so many acute episodes of worsening, but there's a gradual accumulation of disability, of fatigue, of cognitive decline. And in the brain, it's specifically attacking the myelin sheath, only throughout the brain, the nervous system. Right. So the myelin is the insulation, the wiring, around the wiring or the axons between cells. And we think there's acute breaks in the wiring. That's, those are axon cuts. And when that happens, we think that leads to permanent disability. We also know that cell bodies are lost. And so that leads to brain volume loss of the brain and of the spinal cord. Which then also leads to the mental health, the mind the issues. The men- yeah. yeah. It, it, and, you know, early on, they th- thought this was all an immune-mediated disease. Now, I'd say in the last five years, there's many more scientists talking about, well, you know what, mitochondria are a problem. And excessive oxidative stress is a problem. And the fact that the mitochondria appear to not be able to make enough energy to maintain the myelin may be a big driver of why the myelin deteriorates and may be a big driver in why the brain volume loss is occurring. Makes so much sense. And so, you know, once again, I had reached that conclusion, you know, back in 2004, as I was reading the literature, looking at the other diseases with shrinking brains. Like if the mitochondria are the big factor for Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, Lou Gehrig's, mm-hmm. and all these other neurodegenerative diseases, I'm like, it's going to be a, a big factor for MS as well. The mitochondrial pathology is not, it's not really very well understood or researched, although it's, it's been around for a long time, but it hasn't really been applied and translated to the level that you've done now with the autoimmune Correct. with MS, which is incredible. So you then have kind of brought it down to identifying the mitochondria and mitochondria as being a very major factor. And you talk about the cell membranes as well, which is so vitally important for for brain health and body health. You've got quite specific into the brain. And the reason I'm saying this is because because you've identified that, you've been able to target what you put in. So the epigenetic fact, you've been able to target yes. what you can put in to actually directly address and be quite specific, which is amazing. Yeah. You know, it, it was interesting. So at first I, st- I focused on the mitochondria, the electron transport chain, the Krebs cycle, what are the nutrients, what are the toxins to, so to get rid of those toxins out of my body? What were the cofactors and the vitamins and supplements? And they were helpful. They reduced my fatigue somewhat. And of course, I mean, that, that was just huge because yeah. the prescription meds did nothing for my fatigue. And, you know, so I, I, people know I'm very fond of the paleo diet. I, I certainly do recommend some supplements. But I want to remind everyone, the paleo diet didn't stop my decline. The supplements did not, they slowed my decline, but did not stop mm-hmm. my decline. It wasn't until I had this big aha, like, you know, what if I redesign my paleo diet eating pattern based on the 18 different nutrients that I identified were important for mitochondria mm-hmm. to get where they were in the food supply? Yeah. And so I asked my dietitian friends and they're like, oh, I don't know, that's too hard. I, I don't have an intern to do that. Uh, so I went to the library, that wasn't so helpful, but I, you know, I continued you know, my research and eventually found some great resources online, the Linus Pauling Micronutrient Center being one of them. And I restructured my paleo diet in a very specific way. Yeah, because my thinking was, you know, food is much more complicated than supplements. Mm. That if I 
remodel, reinvent my diet, still following the paleo principles, to maximize the intake of these key nutrients, I'd probably get many thousands of other compounds that would be good for my that would be good for my mitochondria and good for my brain. And now keep in mind, I was doing all this not to get better because I knew I couldn't get better. That was the mindset. I, that was your training. That's right. That's what I, that I was taught. What all the my that told me that. And so it's like, okay, I can't get better, but I can slow the decline. And so I, I redesigned my diet. It was on December 26th. Uh, did all of this. And by January 25th, I could tell like, you know, my energy is better. Wow. Four weeks later. My energy's better, and it was a little easier to set up. And by February, I was sitting at the table again. That's incredible. So the Walls Protocol has come out of being birthed out of adjusting the paleo diet. So it's very specific, very clearly explained in your book. And you can, so can you talk about what did you do to, because you've got the different levels. You've got your level one, level two, level three, and then you've added in the elimination diet. So well, I'm talking about actually even a pre-level one. Absolutely. So the, the key thing we want people to do is improve the quality of their diet. So if a great sort of pre-diet might be the Mediterranean diet, mm-hmm. cut out the sugar, eat more vegetables, uh, have some legumes and get rid of the processed foods. So in many Americans are like, oh, you know, I, I could probably do that. And so that's a great warm up. And then at the next level, we're going to be a little more specific. We want more green leafy vegetables, more deeply colored things like beets, carrots, berries, and sulfur contained vegetables, cabbage family, onion family, mushroom family vegetables. We need to have a quality protein. And again, I'm mindful that some people are vegetarian or vegan for deeply held religious beliefs. And so if that's the case, I'm not going to, I'm going to respect that, but I want you to do it safely. So so we teach you how to have a complete protein. Good. Okay. If you're a meat eater, we we talk about having two servings of meat about the size of your palm. So if you're a little Mm -hmm. petite person, it's a smaller serving. If you're Mm -hmm. a six foot tall lady like me, it's going to be of course, more. Then at the next level, then we talk about, uh, and I should say at the first level, we remove gluten, we move casein, and we move dairy. So that's wheat, rye, barley, casein, that's dairy proteins, and egg proteins. And those are three very commonly not recognized food sensitivity triggers that can lead to excessive activation of your immune system. So, so just a quick question. So how would those also, if you have this potential for MS or an autoimmune issue, how would those affect the mitochondria and the cell membrane? Well, if your innate immune cells are activated excessively, those compounds will be in your bloodstream and it will make all of your autoimmune processes much more aggressive. Okay. They will go into your brain and make the microglia more aggressive. Okay. And that can damage it's problematic. your- synapses, that can damage your myelin. Uh, and mm-hmm. so if you have a neuroinflammation problem as an MS, mm-hmm. you're going to have more symptoms. If mm-hmm. you have anxiety or depression, you'll have more symptoms. Mm-hmm. If you've had a concussion, you have a leaky brain and a leaky mm-hmm. gut after concussion, mm-hmm. people are more likely to develop food sensitivities mm-hmm. right after concussion, mm-hmm. even if they didn't have them before because of that mm-hmm. leakiness of the gut. I found that with my patients, and I wish I'd known you back then, because that's what I remember. Every single one of my TBI patients, we had issues with diet after trauma. You know, that's a relatively recent phenomenon that people are aware of that. So it's very, very common to get leaky gut, food allergies, 
uh, certainly gluten, dairy, and eggs, and they may have other food allergies that we have to deal with. And you will may need to deal, deal with that very aggressively for how, however long it takes to get them through that recovery period, which might be six months or might be uh, three or four years. So there's a time factor involved. Okay, so you've spoken about the first level, the pre-level, the first level, the second level, and then your third level. And the third level is the ketogenic plan. Now, the benefit of ketosis, uh, we discovered that about 100 years ago, that it's a great way to treat seizure disorder kids. A lot of research for seizures, brain cancer. There's more research now for other neurodegeneration like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's. I study it in the setting of MS, and actually several other studies now for MS. And so we talk about using ketogenic diets. The new addition that I have is you know, the high-fat diets. That's a, a, a very new phenomenon. We've only been doing that for 100 years. Yeah. Mostly, we've been on a ketogenic diet because we didn't have food. Millions of years that humans have been separate from primates, or the 250,000 years we've been homo sapiens. The most common reason that we're in ketosis was either because we had to work incredibly hard, and after two, you know, two to three hours of physical activity, yeah, you used up all of your stored glycogen. Yeah, we don't have any more carbs, and we're now burning fat. Yeah, or there was no food, no calories, and we're burning our own fat because there are no calories. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. We never ate a high fat diet unless we're eating our own fat. Somewhat higher fat diet depending on the season of the year and how much stored fat the animals would have had that we were hunting. In the far mm. north, in the tundra, those societies did have more of a high-fat diet, but because of their genetic variation, they're not in ketosis, mm. which is sort of interesting. So Very there are a few societies that have a, a high-fat diet. I, I, I talk about, yes, uh, high-fat diets can be a, a, one way to get in ketosis. And you could do it with a medium-chain triglycerides. You could do it with coconut oil. You could do it with olive oil. And depending on your lipid response, then we know which fat will work for you. Could I interrupt you there just one oh, yeah. moment? That's really interesting because ketosis, as you know, the keto diet is very popular. It's very popular. Board. I mean, we pretty much eat keto in a bit for my brain fog. and Well, not brain fog. I don't have that. But I mean, it's just in terms of brain clarity and, and energy. It's been amazing. How, But you've got to be so careful how you do it. You've really got to know what you're doing. Yes. So I think ketogenic diet's incredibly helpful for one reason. You get rid of the sugar and the excess of carbs, so yeah. that improves the quality of your diet. But you want to know your lipid response. And that's I, and I that's what that I wanted way. to ask you. Okay, that was the thing. You said lipid response because not everyone's going to respond to the coconut oil, the olive oil, the whatever. It's different for everyone. Perfect. It's different for everyone. And you need to know, handy if I can have coconut milk, it's, which is quite delicious. And yes. MCT oil, is quite, you know, it, it's very handy. You get more ketones and you could have more carbs in your diet. But if your cholesterol shoots up on MCT oil, coconut oil, then that is not going to work for you because mm-hmm. that puts you at risk for heart disease, stroke, and other complications. Therefore, if you start a ketogenic diet, you need to check your lipids in about a month. Mm-hmm. See, like what happened. And that will guide you which fat will be okay. That's really if, good. Mm-hmm. So that, that's good to know. And then, the, and then also there are other ways of being in ketosis. Our ancestors ate intermittently. Mm. And so they would run out of their food. And then the, the gentleman in the clan would have to go out and get the food. The women in the clan would gather up the kiddos and would do a shorter range hunting and food gathering. People come back with the success of their hunt. 
And they certainly in ketosis by then from all their physical activity and from the fact they'd run out of food. And then they prepare the food. And now they have resting and eating. They're probably not in ketosis because they just ate food. Mm -hmm. And so they have a few days of not, not being in ketosis while they are resting, eating, you know, having whatever the usual re routines would have been around the camp. And then it's time to go out for the hunting, the gathering, and they're back in ketosis. So ketosis would have been intermittent. It would have been intermittent on the basis of either physical activity or on the absence of calories. So there are several ways for us to have the benefits of ketosis. High fat diet, maybe one. Mm -hmm. And depending on your clinical circumstances, you can sort out which fat may be appropriate. Mm -hmm. Very good. I'm restricted feeding. You could do that. You could do it every day. You could do a periodic fast. I've done, you know, three-day fast, five-day fast, seven-day fast. And I'll assure you, I get quite hungry by, by the end of the seventh day. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> and so I'm sure I have pretty good ketones. <laughs> um, but if, if you're going to be on these longer fasts, you need to work closely with your physician, of course, Yeah. to monitor and be sure that that's being done safe. Yes. Or you could do seasonal ketosis. My ancestors, you know, being from Northern Europe, probably during the winter, you had either protein because you had a successful hunt or you didn't eat. And so you're in ketosis very much during the winter. Mm -hmm. And then during the summer, there's more carbs around. There would have been more tubers, more berries, greens. And so it still would have been a lower carb diet than what we have now. But there, you, probably, you might but not it's have seasonal. been seasonal. Yeah. But it's se so, very seasonal. Mm -hmm. So very seasonal. So I, I think everybody will benefit from being in ketosis more often. Mm. And you can uh, decide based on your clinical circumstances whether you have an issue where you should be in ketosis all of the time. Mm -hmm. or intermittently, and mm -hmm. at what frequency. Fantastic. That's what, and so excellent, the way you've explained that. Thank you. You've just, I think you just hammered in one couple of sentences. If a couple of sentences there, you, you just hammer down a very logical way of approaching ketosis. So that's level three. Then your level four, you've just introduced in this new book. Yeah. So this is the low lectin version of the diet. So again, depending on your genetics and probably also your microbiome, you may have an excessive immune response these compounds called lectins. Mm -hmm. And lectins are a particular type of protein that the plant makes sort of, you might think of it as an insecticide to deter the insects from eating it. Mm -hmm. And so it'll be in the skins of the vegetables, in the seeds of the nuts, grain, seeds. That's also in, in nightshades in more detail. And so again, depending on the circumstance, I may put someone on a low lectin version of the diet. So that's more restrictive Mm -hmm. It's certainly a more challenging diet to follow. So I, I generally don't start there. But if someone's not getting the results that I want, mm -hmm. we may put them on that low lectin diet for six months and see if we can get them under better control. Fascinating. So what, what I'm hearing you say is that it's not a cookie cutter approach, which is very, that's, that's why I'm asking you such detailed questions, because I want people to understand that, that this is not a cookie cutter approach. It's not that there's just one thing that everyone does and that's it. Because there's so much, as you know, with this, the wellness movement, there's so many books out there saying, if you do, this is the only way, don't have this. You must no, be this, yeah. you must, which is, you know, and I've even written a book on food, but it's 
mind-based where it's think and eat yourself smart. And the basic principles are bio-individuality, like you have explained. And I focus hugely on how mind controls the digestive system and all that. So it's a little bit of a different approach, but it emphasizes what you're saying yeah. in terms of bio-individuality. And that's what I'm hearing you say with your, your uh, Dr. Wells protocol is these four levels aren't just, you don't just automatically go through each level. You actually seem to, it, it's all designed to work out the best combination for you. So it's a bit of right. trial and Absolutely. error. Uh, absolutely. So can people manage that from their book or do they also need to consult with you to get more? I would say that probably 80 to 90%, you read the book and I've given you enough information there that, that you could work with your primary care team to implement the concepts and really have a transformational result. If you're not getting where you want to be, then by all means, you know, come, come to my website, terrywalls.com. We have Walls certified practitioners that we've trained. And they can evaluate you and figure out what further tweaks we need to get the kind of results that you want. The next thing, if, if you really want me to spend time with you, I do have a very limited private practice and people come see me and then we delve into all of this much more deeply. Wow, that's amazing. And all those links we're going to put in the show notes that people can get the book and then they can get hold of everything on your website yeah. as well, which is so important. I wanted to just talk to you a little bit about epigenetics because it's a field that's so new, fascinating and something mm -hmm. that I've been also been researching for all these years. And I love how you approach epigenetics and you've kind of spoken about it, but indirectly. So can you, can you talk a little bit about epigenetics yeah. and, and mental well, health as well and mind and brain and how all this kind of links up? What is fascinating is that it appears to pass through four generations. So if I have created epigenetic marks, so these are marks on my genes that turn genes on and off because I've had smoking or a high sugar diet, no vegetables, inactivity, my offspring will be less healthy because they'll, they'll have more mental health, heart disease, obesity, etc. And with each generation, the offspring is more and more unhealthy. In some other mammal studies, so in cats, I believe it's dogs and rats, the fifth generation mm. is sterile. Mm. Wow, that's a, that's fascinating. That's sobering. Yeah, like, that oh, is yeah, very that, sobering. That is and, I, and I'm so glad you said this because I write about this in all my books as well. The fact that we've got to recognize that the way we think and eat now is going to affect the next three to four to five generations. It, you know, we can't well, just think. And, 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 if, and if we are like the other mammals, you know, you only got four generations because on the fifth generation it's sterile things are not going to go well that is scary yeah and then the the other thing you want to keep in mind is then it takes four generations of great diet and lifestyle choices to take all those marks off and get the offspring back to the full health that would be wow. possible based on their dna mm. terry that's so fasc fascinating so the health i have you know if we go back four generations that's mom that's grandmom, yeah. great-grandmom, great-greats. So the health we have are the accumulated health of all the great-greats, mm. ancestral lineage. Mm. That's if you think about that, it's 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 a proclivity that we now have, but we can change it because you've given it's scary. But that scary that scary doesn't mean we got to have fear that we can't function. It's a scary that hey, wake up and be aware and do something. There's choices, exactly. There's choices, and that's a huge part of my work is that you use your mind to study this, to find out about these things, and you can make changes. So that's why things like your book, studying that is is getting the is a choice to get the knowledge to be able to make those changes in the next four generations, which is so important. Correct. 
Now, the, the other thing I, I want to stress, because sometimes people are thinking like, oh my God, you know, I couldn't possibly afford to eat the way Walls eats, uh, that this is only possible for people who have, you know, tremendous economic resources. In my clinics at the VA, my patients were living on food stamps. They had severe financial constraints, and they were often unable to work because of their underlying complex medical issues and disabilities. So we'd have cooking classes, we'd have skills classes, teaching meditation and exercise and body weight exercises. And we'd teach them you know, how to shop in their rural, small town grocery stores. The food deserts very often. <laughs> and they transformed their lives. Wow. So they were able to implement the concepts that I, that I teach in the Walls Protocol in my book in their small rural grocery stores. Literally living so, on food stamps, they were able to... Literally uh, living on food stamps. And so they okay. discovered that they needed less pain meds, they were off their opioids, they needed less blood pressure meds, less diabetes meds. I was able to go meet with the chair of the pain clinic, the chair of medicine, quarterly to give reports to what our patients, what we're seeing with our patients. Then I started having to meet with the chair of the hospital and the hospital director twice a year to say, here's what's happening in our patients. And then, dear God, I was a little unsettled. Then the VA central office wanted to come out and see what I was doing. I thought, oh no, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> but you know, they were actually very impressed. And so they were incorporating more of these concepts in their whole health clinic and let us write a grant to add more staff. And actually, and that was the time that I then decided to retire from the VA because I was now traveling the world. And I had so many more opportunities to speak, to teach to other uh, clinicians. And I wanted to get my practitioner certification program up and going. And so if, if I was going to make my mission of teaching more physicians and yeah. other health professionals to do this, I needed to retire from the VA so I'd have time. And so, I'm so I'm still at the university. So I'm still doing my research because I wasn't, I'm not ready to give that up. No. You should. But I, mm -hmm. I certainly want to, want to be able to teach it's, other physicians what I do. Mm -hmm. And other health professionals, what I do. So important. Well, I'm so, I'm so pleased. I'm so pleased that you're doing that. Well, just, I feel like we could talk all day. There's been so many concepts that we've covered, but we've run out of time. And I want to just ask you one, it's a big question, sure. but let's see if we can simplify this and let's, and we definitely won't finish it. So we'll have to have you back on another podcast to dive deeper. Oh, that'd be great. If that's, if that's okay with you. But I just wanted to touch on the fact that it meant the approach that I bring into, into this podcast and my work and my research is mental health is not a disease. It is a normal reaction. All of us go oh, yeah. through anxiety and depression, et cetera. Current, which is not the narrative today where people are, you know, the current narrative, as you know, is that if you, you have a clinic, look at the symptoms, diagnose by very biomedical neuroreductionistic model, diagnose from symptoms and medicate. That model has been applied from medicine into mental health, as we know. So what I try and help people understand is that that's not the case. You don't have to just label yourself and get stuck. We've got to work with anxiety comes from all the different elements of life. Now, just from what I wanted to ask you, in terms of the, the walls protocol, you've mentioned a lot and you've touched on a, a fair amount in this discussion about how this can help with anxiety and Absolutely. depression and the symptoms. So can you just give us a sort of simple summary there about yeah. how it well, could do that? So I have a unique way of thinking about diagnosing. My physician colleagues are diagnosing disease states. I diagnose health behaviors. Oh, I love that. Okay. So I'm diagnosing your health behaviors and are there problems there that we need to address? I'm diagnosing, is there a mismatch between your DNA, how your DNA evolved, the biologic 
evolution and the cultural evolution with the diet and environment that you're providing. And is there a mismatch there? Do I have to help, help you get that back in better alignment? So that's the diagnosis that I do. It's and that is the process I take people through, whether they have a mental health primarily issue or a physical primarily issue. And frankly, most people have a combination. Exactly. It's comorbid. It's not like you can have one thing or another. It's because such a, yeah. If, if you have excessive inflammation in your body, that will go over into your brain. Exactly. And you're going to have excess irritability, more problems with joy, more problems with concentration. You may have more anxiety, more depression. Exactly. And so by taking that approach that I'm diagnosing the mismatch between your cultural evolution and your biologic evolution, and I'm diagnosing your health behaviors, and then working on a plan with you on how we're going to get those in proper alignment, and then agreeing that we're going to have to monitor you for side effects from your drugs, that's the plan that has resolved anxiety, resolved depression, resolved PTSD, resolved bipolar, certainly resolved the post-concussive headaches uh, Mm -hmm. very consistently. That is absolutely amazing. In my most recent clinical trials, which we just literally finished at the end of last year, been analyzing now, and I showed with mind management that you can reduce anxiety and depression by up to 81%. And it's just basically managing your mind, but not just in terms of, I've got a whole a protocol that I've developed as well in terms of mind management, but I also teach people not a diet. I would refer, for example, say you could use the Walls protocol, for example, but how to use your mind to actually, you've got to, you've got to choose to follow your diet. That people have got to actually get their yes. mind right to read the book, to to actually apply the principles. Yeah. So that's where that's where my work comes in. Is making that's why I do these interviews so people can learn about people like from people like yourself who have the knowledge, detailed knowledge of how to get the best out of your mitochondria and your immune system, etc. And mine is the delivery system to make sure that they study that and apply that in their life. So I'm just so excited to have connected with you finally. And I'm very excited to see where this relationship goes in the future. And I'm so excited about your research. And thank you for the incredible wisdom you've given us today and for the time that you've invested in giving hope to people with not only multiple sclerosis, but traumatic brain injury and all these in, these very challenging things that have been kind of hopeless, but you show that there's a lot of hope. So thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leith. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself 
and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.